studies that uh, correlate uh, drug treatment responses in patients with drug treatment responses in IPC-based models uh, of those uh, particular patients. I think there's some work in this area trying to correlate sort of clinical trials that are happening uh, in, in, in patients with clinical trials that are happening parallel in a dish with IPC-based models of those individuals. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about the future and uh, you know, what we'll see in this area over the next few years. Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. I'm your host, Alexander Yahensky. Let's start. Three, two, one, and we are live. Welcome to the next episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. In this episode, we are returning again to the topic of stem cells. This time, we will look at their role in drug discovery. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Professor Evangelos Kiskinis. Evangelos is an assistant professor at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago. He completed his PhD at Imperial College London and then moved to Harvard to do a postdoc at the lab of Kevin Egan where he was harnessing the utility of stem cells to study and treat neurodegenerative disorders. After starting his own research group at Northwestern in 2015, Evangelos has been focusing on developing IPC-based models for various neurological conditions, including ALS and pediatric epilepsy. And his work also led to exciting clinical trial in this space. Evangelos, thank you so much for accepting my invitation and welcome to the show. Great. Um, thank you for, uh, for having me. I'm excited to be here. And, you know, I appreciate the invitation. Perfect. Evangelos, I would like to start with your story. Can you tell us what got you interested in stem cells and how that passion led you to the place you are at today? Right. So, um, you know, I, you know, just a little bit of background. I, I you know, I'm originally from Greece. I grew up, um, um, in Greece, the youngest of three, um, and I, I first got, you know, intrigued and excited about science around high school, where, you know, a talented biology teacher sort of um, illustrated to me that the power of science and biology and how, when you study something, you discover a new world. So that's when when I when I first became passionate about science. I moved to the UK when I was eighteen and I did my undergrad and grad school there. And, um, you know, during grad school, I, I, I worked on cellular reprogramming and um, how metabolism can alter the function of cells. And it was around that time that um, uh, Shina Yamanaga published a, a, a seminal paper in Cell, where he described how you can take, um, you know, four transcription factors and turn any adult somatic cell into um, a pluripotent stem cell, which shares the um, the capacity to differentiate into any cell type in the human body. So, you know, I, I read that and I, I got really excited. I think it, it became um, um, 
increasingly um, apparent to me how transformative this this potential technology could be. So I started reading more and more about it, um, and you know at that top, at that point I decided that that's what I want to do for my postdoctoral research. Um, so I emailed a few people. I you know I, I emailed um, Kevin Egan, who was uh, a pioneer and and leading um, you know um, uh, you know IPC based research at the time, and I said, look, you know never met before but i'm really excited about your work i'm really passionate about it and i want to come and you know work for you and he said great come on over and so that that happened in 2008 um and that was sort of my first foray into the stem cell world uh at, you know I, I was in kevin's lab where i focused on um understanding uh you know the the, the properties uh, of induced pluripotent stem cells and how we can utilize them to uh, um, study and understand neurological diseases. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, when I left uh, um, Harvard um, I, and started my own lab here at Northwestern, I, I knew that um, I wanted to stay in sort of uh, around the same theme of, of using um, stem cell-based technologies to to model and try and understand how um, neurological disease uh, develops and, and whether we can use these approaches to halt or restore degenerative processes in, in human cells. Perfect. Speaking about neurodegenerative disorders, uh, those conditions are extremely hard to treat and also to understand on the basic fundamental uh, level. What do you think makes um, induced pluripotent stem cells such an exciting model to study neurological diseases? Right, no, that, that's a great question. So, you know, I think as you've said, um, as you mentioned, it, it's been really hard to, um, uh, you know, model neurological diseases. Um, I, I think for a couple of reasons. I think firstly, um, there's a, a a lot of diversity um, within the central nervous system <clears throat> and there's a lot of uh, human specific properties in terms of both uh, in terms of both uh, different subclasses of, of neural and neuronal subtypes that exist as well as the function of, of different um, cell types within the the CNS um, and, and that renders modeling these diseases with with traditional um, animal models such as, uh, you know, uh, mice, rats, fish, uh, flies, and, and so on and so forth, challenging. Um, so I, I think that's been one issue. And the other one is that, um, you know, the, the central nervous system is, is fairly inaccessible. It's really hard to um, uh, access the, the cells that are degenerating within the brain or the spinal cord of of people that suffer from from these diseases, and if you can't access, um, you know, the, the the cell type that that's um, primarily affected, it's really hard to study and appreciate the disease. So I, I think iPSC technologies have really um, for a, a workaround around this um, a solution to, to this accessibility issue, um, and they also provide us with um, an additional. Um, model 
which is based on um, you know human cells, um, which carry um, the unique genetic uh, makeup of of each particular individual. Um, and um, you know, mutant or uh, disease proteins are expressed under physiological control systems in the right cell type and uh, in the human setting. So, I, th- I think they're they're a useful tool that, that can be used in parallel to all the other uh, animal model systems that have been traditionally used in in the study of neurological diseases. Perfect. Understand. And uh, developing those models is is not an easy task. Uh, also speaking a little bit from my experience as a, as a PhD student, um, what are the main challenges in establishing a good model uh, based on human uh, IPC cells for those neurological conditions? Right. Um, very good point. Um, I, I think there are several challenges that that you know the field has been facing and continues to face. I, I think uh, having said that, you know, we've made tremendous progress in, um, you know, bettering um, the, the model systems that we create with IPC technologies. And I think we've certainly have come a long way from sort of the first generation IPC-based models of neurological diseases. Um, I think we've become better at, um, differentiation protocols would become better at making um, different neural subclasses, making the right sub, uh, subtypes. We've become better at making um, more sophisticated systems that incorporate multicellular aspects of diseases with not just neurons, but additional neuronal subtypes, um, uh, glial cells, and so on and so forth. I think the, you know, the organoid work that has been happening um, has really facilitated the, the generation of this next um, level uh, model systems, but but there's cer- certainly several challenges that remain. I, I would say if I had to break it down, I, I, I think um, there are three, um, I, I could probably distill it to three um, areas. The, the first one is um, relates to the fact that um, IPC-derived neuronal cells seem to resemble um, neuronal subtype um, late embryonic or early postnatal stages of human development. And when you're trying to understand an adult onset or late onset neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's or even ALS, that can be a challenge. So I I think um, figuring out a way to mature and in fact, age the cells that we make, the neurons that we make from stem cells, um, is an important challenge. I, I think um, you know we've already seen uh, a few breakthroughs around the area related to direct reprogramming, for example, of adult somatic cells directly to neurons, which seem to retain some of the um, aging uh, factors of the um, the parental somatic cell and the, the, the patient is one exciting development. But I think we'll see, um, I, I know that there are several other developments in the pipeline uh, related to um, um, manipulating the factors in vitro uh, to age uh, IPC-derived neuronal cells. I think we're going to see uh, 
some of these come out in the next um, uh, in the imminent future. So I would say aging is is one um, challenge. I think the other one relates to what I um, talked about a little bit, which is the multicellular aspect of of several diseases. Um, so so we know that it might be, for example, uh, dopaminergic neurons in PD or motor neurons in ALS that are uh, primarily driving the disease. But we also know that there are several other subtypes that contribute to disease, and and I think we have to um, move towards developing multicellular model systems. Um, and again, you know, the organoid technology that has been um, that's, that's being developed and becoming better and better, it's going to solve a lot of these problems. Um, and and I, I would say that the third area is the fact that, you know, IPC models are in vitro models of disease. And, and when you're thinking about diseases like epilepsy, for example, you know, it is a disease of a brain, of the brain. Uh, it is a disease of an intact nervous system. And um, so, so, you know, that is a challenge. We always have to keep that in mind. But again, I, I think, you know, the, the, the organoid work that has been, um, that, that, that has been developing in the last few years is going to address some of these challenges. I can particularly think of some of the <clears throat> phenomenal work that has come out of Sergio Pasca's lab at Stanford where, <clears throat> you know, he's successfully recreating, um, um, you know, uh, an entire network, you know, with upper motor neurons and lower motor neurons and, and muscle as one example, or, you know, gabaergic interneurons uh, synapsing and with, with uh, excitatory uh, neurons. These are really exciting developments. And I, and I think, you know, we're going to see breakthroughs in this area over the next few years as well. Fantastic. We are doing this show for you, and your feedback is very important for us. So if you have any suggestions or comments, would like us to cover a specific topic or recommend a guest, please write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Just type in Personalized Medicine Podcast and you will find us there. To download the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's P-M-E-D-C-A-S-T dot com. The show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. Make sure to check them out. And don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a rating and leave a comment. It will help us make this show better. And now, let's get back to the interview. Neurological disorders, it's a pretty broad group of diseases, um, and uh, some of them have some underlying genetic causes behind them. Some of them don't, or at least seem not to have. How does that impact our ability to, to model those disorders in, uh, in the dish uh, with iPAC cells? Right. That, that's a very good question. And it's a real, I think it's related to your previous question. I, you know, what are some of the challenges that we're facing? So obviously I, I think, um, you know, genetic, um, um, neurological disease or neurogenerative disease is, um, is, is probably the, you know, the, the first sort of type of disease that we, we have been tackling as a field. And, and the reason for that, I, I think is because um, you know, I, I think 
that um, it is rational to think about what are the best ways of controlling um, for some of the phenotyping you, you're, uh, you're doing when it comes to genetic disease. And, and I, I think the, here's where the editing technologies that have been developed over the last few years with, with CRISPR specifically, uh, more, most recently, allows us to test um, you know, the, 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 the idea that it is um, specific mutations uh, that, that cause particular phenotypes that we identify in a dish. And I, I think CRISPR technology has allowed us to basically, um, you know, correct a, um, a mutation in, in case we uh, generate uh, an IPC line from a particular patient that we know has a particular disease-associated genetic mutation and then ask whether correcting that mutation restores a particular phenotype from a IPC-differentiated neuronal subtype. Uh, well, we can also do the opposite. We can introduce a disease-causing variant in a IPC uh, line derived from a healthy genetic background and, and ask whether that disease-causing variant is sufficient to introduce a phenotype. So these are critical controls that have, um, have enabled PC-based um, uh, uh, you know, modeling labs to really create, um, you know, um, ask this 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 critical questions, um, and I you know I would argue are becoming a standard in what's expected from you know an IPSC model these days. I think where we still have a challenge is uh, sporadic disease, which unfortunately um, represents the overwhelming majority in most uh, cases uh, of of neurogenic disease like. Alzheimer's and ALS. And, you know, I, I think sporadic disease um, is, is likely caused by a combination of um, genetic predisposition, probably um, polygenic contribution, I, um, variants that contribute of low penetrance that combinatorially lead to uh, um, increased susceptibility to disease. Uh, play a role in sporadic disease as as probably the interaction with with the environment. Um, so so that's you know um, whether or not epigenetics also makes a, a contributes to this process is is uh, it has not it is up for uh, debate. It likely is, and that's where IPC technologies. Um, face a challenge because work over many years ago has shown that when you actually create an IPSC line, you wipe, wipe out almost entirely the epigenetic profile of the uh, adult somatic cell. So if, if epigenetics does play a role in sporadic disease, then you know that will render IPSC models uh, problematic. Um, a solution here could be these direct reprogramming approaches that have uh, been described by um, um, by several groups over the last few years, which seem to maintain some of the epigenetic profiling. Um, so so I, th I think that's one issue that uh, we need to tackle as a field. Um, but but I, I think if um, it's not just epigenetics, and, and I think another challenge that we have is how do we control for, um, you know, sporadic IPSC-based disease modeling? What are the right controls we should use if we want to model sporadic disease in a dish?
and I, I think there's a, a, here there's some exciting developments um, that are that are hopefully you will see in uh, being published soon with um, sort of multiplexing technologies, uh, which um, solve a, a problem of bandwidth and sort of uh, studying multiple sporadic diseases and multi multiple sporadic IPC disease lines and multiple control IPC lines at the same time. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing some of this work. Uh, and, and I think that's where um, that, that's, that, that would be the next sort of um, generation of, uh, of modeling that, that, that we'll see sporadic, going after sporadic disease as a critical um, breakthrough that we, we need to see happen. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a challenge, and we don't have any shortage of challenges, uh, specifically with those sporadic diseases. But let's hope that um, cumulatively um, we can advance um, science and then uh, also our scientific insights to clinics to, to tackle those. And speaking about advancing science into clinics, can you tell us a bit about your work uh, on the azogabine trial for ALS? Um, and what were your key takeaways from, from that project? Right. Um, yeah, thank you for asking this. So I, I guess the, the backstory here is that, you know, uh, in work that I did uh, a few years ago when I was a postdoctoral fellow in Kevin Egan's lab and in collaboration with Brian Wanger and, um, uh, and Cliff Wolf at, at Children's Hospital at the time, um, we uh, developed preclinical models of ALS, different genetic subtypes of ALS, and we uncovered as a group that one of the uh, of the salient features of these um, uh, that, that was present across different genetic subtypes of, of ALS neurons was this um, disturbances or disruptions in the excitability pattern of ALS uh, motor neurons. And uh, um, you know we also um, um, through sort of irrational um, small scale. Um, um, screen of, of, uh, of a select number of drugs, we, we discovered that um, azogabine, uh, uh, a drug that, that targets uh, potassium channels, specifically KV7 uh, channels that are abundantly expressed in modern neurons, seem to um, effectively restore some of these excitability deficits uh, that were present uh, in the ALS modern neurons. Uh, and, you know, I, I think we published our work and um, you know, it, it, it gained some some traction, and um, in in work that um, was continued by my, by my colleague Brian Wagers and, and others, um, that that preclinical uh, model discovery led actually to a, a phase two clinical trial for azogabine for patients that that have ALS. Um, so so I, I think. The first point that I'd like to make, it's it's an exciting milestone, the fact that a basic discovery in a preclinical IPC-based model led to a, a clinical trial for, um, for for that particular disease. And, um, you know, the, the clinical trial um, was completed. It was a phase two uh, trial uh, that, that included 125 um as patients, the result of, of those trial, the result of that trial was published in JAMA uh, uh, Neurology um, a few months ago, um, and, and it basically showed that um, 
um, as Ogilvy was um, tolerated in ALS individuals. And it, it critically, it, it also showed that um, treatment of um, ALS patients with azogabin um, restored um, the um, cortical hyperexcitability that, that was recorded in these individuals. So, so it, it met its primarily uh, endpoint. So that that was the the the, the second milestone as far as I'm concerned. I, I think. You know the, the the trial was not designed in a way to assess efficacy uh, uh, properly. You know it was a short-term um, uh, treatment uh, for for uh, twelve weeks, and um, so the the hope is that um, this this work will be followed up uh, by um, doing a, a larger sort of uh, efficacy-based uh, trial. Um, Right, so so that you know that I'm excited uh, about of about, about some of the work, and you know, in my own lab, we're, we're we're continuing a little bit to try and understand a little bit more about what the um, what is the mechanism behind um, the excitability deficits that are leading uh, to um, it, it, that 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 are um, apparent in, in IPC derived neurons, and and why is azogabin particularly effective? at restoring these. Got it. And uh, now speaking about stem cells, not just as model uh, for uh, studying neurological diseases, but rather as a potential agent to actually treat those disorders, we've seen quite a bit of progress in cell replacement therapies in Parkinson's disease over the last few years, but not so much still in ALS or Alzheimer's. What are the main reasons for that, and what, uh, as a scientific community, we have to do to make sure that we can also use differentiated uh, neurons uh, as a potential therapeutic option for for those conditions? Right. Yeah, that, that that's another great question. So, as you rightly pointed out, I, I think there's excitement in the field uh, of cell replacement therapy. Um, you know, there, there's a, a few. Um, clinical stage companies that, that are engaging in that, you know, I, Blue Rock Therapeutics is, a, um, I think, one of the companies that, that's focusing on cell replacement for Parkinson's disease by making um, stem cell-derived dopaminergic neurons. And I, I think, um, you know, other uh, exciting uh, um, diseases in, in this area are probably related to um, um you know, neuroimmunology with microglia uh, and, you know, potentially we'll see some exciting developments in, in that area or oligodendrocytes and demyelinating disorders. I, I think that the, the, the fundamental difference between uh, these areas and something like ALS uh, or Alzheimer's is, you, I think, in Parkinson's disease, um, we, we know um, the, the the cell type and and we know the the specific, which is the dopaminergic neuron, and we know that this exists in a, a very specific area in the brain uh, that that's um, you know that can be accessible, I, I guess. So so the task of replacing is not as formidable as in ALS, where not only do you need to do you need to deliver you know the motor neurons um, in, in the spinal cord, but you need to rely on those cells. To sort of extend their very very long axons outside the central nervous system, 
and synapse with 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 muscle, uh, you know, in the periphery, and, and that 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 is a, a major challenge that that we face as a field, and um, it, so that's I, I think one of the primary reasons why why we haven't seen more movement in the area of cell replacement, particularly for ALS. Um, you know, I, having said that, that there, there is some preclinical work um, around ALS and, and cell replacement or um, transplanting, um, you know, neural cells, um, that not specifically motor neurons, that neural cells that could be, be beneficial. I think we'll see the results of those trials soon. Um, but but I, 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 I think, you know, it, it's a little bit more complicated than, than Parkinson's disease. I, I also, I, I think I'd like to point out that there's been a, a, a focused effort um, sort of creating um, dopaminergic neurons that, that are um, facto dopaminergic neurons that, that um, you know, do uh, most of the things that, that um, neurons uh, are known to do uh, from stem cells. There's been also fantastic preclinical work in sort of transplanting these in uh, you know mass models and other preclinical models. So I, I think that's been a f the focus for for many years, and that's how we're seeing um, an impact for that disease for for cell replacement. I, I think you know uh, for other diseases because of the challenges that I mentioned, there hasn't been a, that concerned effort in achieving cell replacement for now got it yeah it takes a long time to to plant the seed uh, until we can harvest something specifically in those neurological diseases but um, staying a little bit more positive and kind of speaking uh, about the future so what i'm curious about is to get your outlook on what do you think the three major developments would be over the next decade on this interface of the stem cell biology and uh, neurological disorders Right, that, that's a good question uh, um, to think about. Um, so, you know, I, I think the first thing that, that comes to mind is, um, I, I think as a field, we, we really need to um, um, solve the, the issue of aging IPC-derived neuronal populations to sort of model uh, and recapitulate robust uh, neuropathology to robustly recapitulate that in, in in vitro model systems and I, I think again that we'll see breakthroughs in this area so i think that that that'll be crucial um I, I think you know i i would like to see um you know ipc models becoming a, a standard um part of, of assessing um, you know the mechanism as well as uh you know efficacy of of drug development uh, programs, um, and I think again, I, I think this is we're in the cusp of of, of basically it's happening. I think there are several um, biotechs and, and and pharma companies that are increasingly um, adopting stem cell based models in their preclinical programs. Uh, you know, testing, um, for example. Um, Specificity and efficacy of technologies as uh, such as anti-sense oligotechnologies for for genetic subtypes of diseases or CRISPR-based therapeutics. Um, 
so so you know it'd be nice to see more of that um happening. and i i think the other thing that that i that i can think about is that you know we really need to see more and more examples of um preclinical work based on the ipc based models leading to um discoveries of um therapeutics that, that are actually being applied or tested in, in clinical trials in patients. Like, like we saw with the Zogobin, I, I think there's more of those examples in the pipeline. And, um, you know, if I can be allowed to, to mention a, a, a fourth thing that I'd like to see, <clears throat> which I also think is in the pipeline, is uh, studies that uh, correlate uh, drug treatment responses in patients with drug treatment responses in IPC-based models uh, of those uh, particular patients. I think there's some work in this area trying to correlate sort of clinical trials that are happening uh, in, in, in patients with clinical trials that are happening parallel in a dish with IPC-based models of those individuals. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about the future and uh, you know, what we'll see in this area over the next few years. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see those, uh, those studies being uh, coming out. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. And I really like this last point that you mentioned. It is extremely important uh, for personalized medicine just to understand how individual patients respond to specific drugs and then can IPC-based models derived from those patient, uh, patients actually behave similarly so that's that's a very interesting point yeah i, I agree with you on that and I, I think this is you know we're doing some some work in this area with uh, epilepsy models and we're truly trying to understand whether you know our models are going to be good enough to sort of predict how a patient would respond to a particular drug and uh, you know obviously we're not the only ones I, I think there's several groups that are engaged in this type of work and several you know biotech uh, companies um so you know be exciting to see um, the results of that of those efforts. Absolutely, perfect, Evangelos. You've had such an inspirational uh, career so far, and you've been working on really on the cutting edge of neurological disorders, stem cells. Which one advice could you give to young scientists who are listening to this podcast and who are thinking about continuing or staying in the academia uh, for? long haul and perhaps work in the stem cell research? I, that, that's a good question. I, I think, um, you know, I, the, the first thing I'd like to say is that there's never been, I, I think, a, a more exciting time to engage in uh, in, in this type of research. I, I, I think some of the, the, the technology that's being developed, some of the, the breakthrough, you know, organoid-based work that we're seeing coming out, some of the translational uh, aspects of, of stem cell based models, uh, you know, that, that are being developed, you know, it, it really, really is an exciting time. So, um, I, I think in terms of advice, I, I think, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, is be bold, you know, um, be bold. Don't be afraid to, uh, reach out to people, uh, it, it, you know, if, and engage with them and, and talk to them about why you're excited uh, about the work that they do about, um, sharing some of your ideas and your perspectives, some of the things that that you uh, uh, want to achieve in, in this area. I, I think not a lot of things will happen if you sort of are reserved and, and sort of quiet and you know don't reach out to 
people and, and don't seek opportunities. So, so you know, be bold and um, you know, grasp opportunity that comes about uh, uh, around you. Um, sort of uh, engage with with other researchers in this area and sort of um, you know uh, turn your ideas uh, into reality. Um, you know, test them out. Um, you know. Don't leave any any stone unturned. If you have a good idea, make it happen. Perfect. And I'm sure there are a lot of bold uh, people in our audience who perhaps would like to reach out to you. Where can they find you online? Yeah. So you know, I, I think you know uh, where they can find me on our, on our website, um, which is um, um, you know Kiskinis Lab at Northwestern.edu. Um, they can also ping me on, on LinkedIn where I'm active and I sort of post, um, you know, developments from my lab or I comment on, on exciting films from, from, from lots of other people. So, um, and I'm always, uh, you know, um, looking to be engaged and, and, um, talk to other people. So, so yeah. Fantastic. Evangelos, thank you so much for this interview. It's been extremely exciting to speak about this booming field of stem cells and specifically in this very hot application area of neurodegenerative and neurologic disorders. I'm sure our audience will love it and we have a lot of neuroscientists uh, who, who are tuning into this podcast on a regular basis. So thanks a lot and we'll stay in touch and uh, all the best uh, to your lab uh, and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing more wonderful research coming out of it. Right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. And don't miss the next episode yourself. Subscribe to the Personalized Medicine Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many, many more. Please rate us there and leave a comment. That helps us to grow and deliver the best experience to you. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's p-m-e-d-c-a-s-t.com. And engage with us on social media, where we regularly share the news and exciting content on personalized medicine. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook just by typing in personalized medicine podcast or use our handle pmatcast and if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest for the show write us an email to team at pmatcast.com have a great day and until next time